Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us to come here together and worship in this place that you've given us to come and be together, your children, this small part of your body, to come and be discipled and to grow in our relationship with you and with each other. Thank you, Lord, for helping us, healing us, empowering us, loving us, and prospering us, and help us to walk in the fullness of that, that we may help others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to continue on a little bit from where we were last week. If you remember, last week we were, I started with a question, how do you see you? Remember that? It's important how we see ourselves, isn't it? Then Proverbs 23, 7 say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we proved that up a little bit last week and we really, I hope we left everyone at least acknowledging that that's something they need to address, think about, and if they don't really see themselves as God sees them, then they need to work on that. It's like the song just said, we're standing on holy ground. And I know that there are angels all around. How many of you, that's a beautiful song. That's why John learned it for me. That's why it's the, the last thing he plays every week before I come up here. Because it really, it's so anointed that I, I just keep going from there. Amen? Y'all feel that when he sings that song? And the truth is that I know that the words of that song are true. Do you know that? Yep. Amen. There, there's, there's a lot of angels here right now in this room. There are angels and there, there are also, also are demons. And I tell people that it's good to know that because if we learn the wiles of the devil, as it were, I don't even like to give him that much credit, but we learn his tactics it's easier to defeat him. John and I were just talking about a great man of God in the 1800s named Smith Wigglesworth. He thought all sickness was oppression from, from the devil, was all demonic. And because of that, he saw people raised from the dead. He saw people healed. He saw blind eyes open, just like Jesus did. And Jesus said the things that he did himself, we would do, and greater things than that. Amen. And I was, but I was telling John that, you know, because they've been listening, I was telling him how it blessed Tavana last week, Linda's testimony about how she's been listening to uh, the healing scriptures and all that from the, uh, the, uh, that Messianic Jew. Um, and uh, it's really blessed her and she's really began to be healed and to feel the anointing from that. And that's, that's a real thing, you know. We just have to, it, it all, it, 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 a lot of it's between our ears. Understanding, acknowledging what we have in our, in our spirits after we have received the Lord. I told him that one time Smith Wigglesworth, his story was that he, he woke up one night, he knew there was something, there was a presence. He got his candle, they didn't have lights back then, and he 
said, who's there? And he looked, and at the foot of his bed was a big demon. And he goes, oh, it's just you. And he went back to sleep. That's powerful. He effectively pulled the teeth of that thing, which Jesus has already done that to the devil. The only authority they have is what we give them. That's why they try to, that's the, the, the devil's tactics, are, they never change. He, he's a liar and a schemer and a deceiver, and that's what he's always been. If he can, God has created us in his image. He creates things. He, he creates those, he, he speaks, and things are come, come into being. Same with us. That's why the, our lives go the way of our predominant thinking. Because whatever we think on long enough, we're going to speak. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And God wants us to create beautiful things, holy things, godly relationships, and everything that we touch. But if the devil can get you to believe his lies, he'll get you to do a little creating for him too. Because he knows the power and authority you have. He doesn't have any anymore. So he gets, tries to get you to use his, use yours for his benefit. That's why James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How will we resist him? Well, just like Smith Wigglesworth did that night. Don't give him, don't acknowledge him. Don't, don't, don't give him any credit. Just think of him as a, just a, a little imp like that instead of this big ferocious monster. Second Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6. I'm going to start at the 8th verse. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? See, Elisha was the servant of God, the, the prophet of God, and he was, he was seeing in the spirit. God was showing him in the spirit the things that the enemy of God's people, the king of Syria, was doing with his armies to plot against the, the people of Israel. And when Elisha saw these things, in the spirit, in prayer, he would go and send word to the king of Israel. And so they always were one step ahead. And it made this king of Syria so mad that he began to question his own people. Who's the traitor here? <laughs> Something going on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> he wasn't in his bedroom, but that's what I'm saying. He was seeing it by supernaturally. And he said, go and see where he is, and I may send and seize him. 
it was told him, Behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So he's, he's found him now. He found out who, who's doing this to him, and he's going to put a stop to it. He sent his army for this one man. <laughs> and he surrounded the town where he knows he's down there sleeping, right? And so here's what happens next. When the servant of the man of God, so Elisha had a, had a second, someone coming up behind him like every good minister should. And this guy goes out first out of the tent and he looks out and guess what? Here's what happens. He came out early in the morning, went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? That's, that's normal, huh? <laughs> what are we going to do? He said, here's what Elisha told him. And here's what I want you to remember, because this is going to be your testimony. Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes. He wanted, him, he wanted this young man to see to understand what he was talking about. Because I'm sure it sounded quite foolish to him. There's an army surrounding us. And you're telling me that there's more with us than with them? I only see you and me. So Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. He's not talking about his natural eyes. Those were working fine. That's what had him scared to death. He's talking about his spiritual eyes. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way. And this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So all sorts of supernatural things were going on here. Whatever Elisha wanted, God was doing for him at this time. And he actually did. And I'm not going to continue reading, but he, he led them all the way to where the army of Israel was, to the king of Israel. He led them into the, the place where they were trapped right there. I generally keep reading right there because I, I love the part that happens next and I want us all to be like this. Not only to walk in the supernatural and understand the fullness of God and who and what we have working in our camp. But then the generals there, they said, are we going to, shall we kill them? And Elisha said, no. Feed them. And send them home. Show mercy. And that's what they did. And they never bothered them anymore. Not during that rain, you know. Powerful lessons there. More for us than against us. Can you imagine that young man? But then when the Lord opened his eyes and he saw the army of God, the chariots of fire, I'm sure he wasn't afraid of this worldly army anymore. Just as Elisha wasn't. I don't even know that Elisha really saw them. Before he prayed and asked God to show this young man. 
Why? Because he walked by faith. Jesus said it's better, better for those who haven't seen but just believe. And I think Elisha was so strong in that. He's the one that had a, a double portion of anointing of Elisha, remember, Elijah, remember? Elijah, who did great things and went up in a whirlwind. One of the two that never died in this world. Who was the other one? Enoch. Enoch and Elijah never died. And what's the scripture say? This book is infallible. This is the word of God. This is not a book written by a man about God. This is a book written by the Holy Spirit. By God himself. Through men. To you. To reveal himself to us. And to reveal ourselves to us. Who we are in him. But the scripture says it is but once for man to die. And then the judgment, right? Those two never died. So I challenge you this week to, to read the book of Revelation. You're going to find in there where there's two, these two prophets of God come. And they preach and terrible things happen to them. And they're finally killed and left in the streets of Jerusalem for a time. And then some other things happen. But I think that's Enoch and Elijah. They never died, and I think they have to come back and do that. Just a little nugget. The Bible's awesome. More for us than against us. It's just a continuation of what we were talking about last thing, last week. The, the Bible tells us again and again that, that God has already given us all these wonderful things in Christ. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Beloved, it is my wish that thou prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospers. God wants you to prosper in every way and be healthy. And he's provided everything for this life, this natural life, and for godliness. Everything has already been granted, put on account. For us, and we need to learn how to walk in the fullness of it. We need to believe who we are and what we have, and quit looking around and basing our assessment of ourselves and other Christians on our experiences. I wouldn't even base it on what a pastor tells you unless it lines up with the word of God. Paul said, even if I or an angel preaches to you a different gospel than the one you've heard, let them be cursed forever. This word is the only thing that's going to last after all this burns up. And when we all see each other in heaven, we're going to be talking about this word. I had a report from Jesse Duplantis when he went to heaven. They were, he went to the, the street of the apostles and they were talking. He was Peter and Paul or, I don't know, a couple of them. People were like, what were they talking about? He said, the word. They were talking about the word. John 3, 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, who was a good man, right? 
one of the religious leaders of the day. But there was a man of the Pharisees. That's uh, one of the religious leaders of Israel in the time. The keepers of the law. He knew the Word of God. He knew the Old Testament. The first five books of the Old Testament, word for word. (laughs) And not only that, but he wasn't one of the crooked ones, which were so prevalent in Jesus' time. He was a good man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. There's a problem there. (laughs) He was hiding. He was afraid of man. Remember what we talked about last week? The fear of man brings a snare. He came by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know, we know, that we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one else can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus didn't say, oh, oh, thank you. You've really boosted my ego. Thank you for the nice words. No. Here's what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. (laughs) Jesus has just a real way with words, you know. Remember the day that he lost all the disciples that followed him except for the twelve? I mean, these were people who never took communion. They didn't even know what that was at the time. But he had been offending people all day long and they came. some of them came and told him that he had offended the religious leaders. And he said, let me tell you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my follower. <laughs> and he said, upon hearing that, many of them departed and followed Jesus no more. John 6, 6, 6. And then Jesus turned to the twelve. He said, y'all want to leave too? And Peter said, where are, you, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And he was right. I just mentioned about the, the new birth because we have to be born again. Without, without that, we will not see the kingdom of God. I elaborated on it some, and sometimes it's, it can be quite offensive to people who have sat in church all their life because a lot of them aren't saved. I'll just tell you the truth. I thought I was a Christian. And my wife thought she was a Christian. We grew up that way. And for a lot of our life, we were deceived, deceiving ourselves. So I know when I really got born again. That's a real thing. It's like getting married. You you may not remember the date. But you remember the day that somebody moved into your house, <laughs> you know, and that's how it was with me and Jesus. And and that's a real thing. But there's a new life that's available. It's a free gift. And Jesus has made that available to anyone who will. Right. I believe everyone here has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and accepted him as their Lord and Savior. And that's a wonderful thing. But I want to tell you. That because of this, there's a lot more available to you now than most of us are walking in. Let's watch Jesus offer this gift to someone. Do you want to? Let's always look at what the Master has to say 
Go over to John uh, 4.10. First, first gun I ever had. 4.10. John 4.10. And, uh, well, if you don't mind, I'm going to just share a little bit more of the story. So I'm going to back up to the fifth verse of John chapter 4. This is about the woman at the well. You remember? Okay. Indulge me for a moment. So he, Jesus, fifth verse, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So it was in the middle of the day. Usually the women came and got water early in the morning and late in the evening when it was cool. This was the middle of the day, so it's something odd here already. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He lets her know right away, I'm not talking to you for my benefit. It's for yours. I'm going to keep reading 11th verse. The woman said to him, sir. You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Natural answers. Practical things. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> yeah, he just read her mail, didn't he? Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Jesus was offering her something that he perceived that she really needed. He didn't mention her sin in the beginning. He offered her this living water, this new life, before he ever mentioned anything about that. Yeah, he wants you to repent of your sins and come to him but this is a free gift it's not based 
on our performance, our holiness. Come as you are. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Nobody better. All sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the punishment for sin is death. Not big sin, little sin. All sin. So you better be perfect or have a Savior who is. Amen? Jesus was telling her about something that she needed. But this living water, this new life. It wasn't like the water that she was there to get initially. That only can quench your thirst momentarily. He was offering something that would take away her thirst forever. Something that will fill the void. This longing. This need that we're unaware of what it is that we want so often. I remember wanting things and thinking if I just get to this point or that point, this financial barrier is broken. This relational barrier is broken. Get this, get that, get here, get there. I will be happy. Happy. That's what people are chasing after, happiness. Happiness depends on happenings. But the joy of the Lord is an abiding fruit of the Spirit of God. It's a fact that this living water is available. But it's missed by most Christians. I'll be honest with you. Jesus was saying once we drink of this living water, this eternal spirit, we will... Never ever lack for anything again. We'll never thirst again. But we do. I think everybody here is born again. If you're not, raise your hand. I'm not going to let you leave until we fix it. But we do. We, we fall short. We, we get thirsty. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about this thirsty. I'm thirsty right now. Christians suffer from drought, don't they? In their spiritual lives, even after they're born again. Depression. Fear. Worry. Drought. Anxiety. Sickness. Poverty. Strife. Oppression. Thirsty for the joy and the relief that only God can provide. So which is it? What Jesus said to this woman was either true or false. Both. Both. 
God is a spirit. John 4, 24. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what he told this woman just a little further down the page. I tell you that scripture all the time. Because I'm trying to explain to you that you are a spiritual being that has a soul, a mind, a will, and emotions, and a body that you're riding around in. You're a three-part being. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 spells it out very clearly. In the natural, our souls fluctuate all the time based on happenings. (laughs) Happiness depends on happenings. What happened? What happened? We look for, you know, Johnny Lee song, looking for love in all the wrong places. We look for love in all the wrong places. We look for fulfillment. We look for joy. We look for happiness. We look for things in all the wrong places. We try to do things in our own physical strength. And you know what? We get tired. We get real tired. We come to the end of ourselves physically, don't we? That's why companies that never learn to reproduce themselves that you you can have a business owner someone very qualified and capable and gets it and cares about the business cares about the customer but if he never duplicates himself he's never going to grow that business like he wants to and because of that some of them find out how hard that is to disciple as it were others into that, which they should be doing all the time, and they just give up on that and they just settle for what they can do in their own strength. They have to have control over every part, and they never learn how to create a well-oiled machine, which is the key to success at a larger level. We need to be validated by things that we shouldn't Outside of God's realm, it really shouldn't matter what other people think of you. But we got a phone in our hand all the time. Oh man, just let me check. Did they like that? Did they follow me back? And then six of them unfriended you, you know. You said something on God's behalf and you lost half your army. You're thinking about quitting going to church now. Oh, so-and-so doesn't approve. Apparently I'm just a hypocrite anyway. In the natural... Our souls fluctuate. Our mind, our will, our emotions. That's why discipleship is so important. You know the Great Commission? What Jesus said, remember, before He ascended? Go out and preach the Word. Baptizing. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. What else? See, here. They're not picking on you. Most people don't know it. Because that's as far as most churches get. 
that just that is proves my point right there because I mean I was just looking at it earlier, so it's fresh on my mind. But don't you know I might be out there with you going, hmm. Teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say go make converts. Go make sure they say the prayer. Make sure they go into heaven when they die. He said go and make disciples. And a disciple is not just someone who attends church or who doesn't. Who says they believe in Jesus. You know. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. But if you're a car, you, you're safer in a garage. Christian, you need to be in church. But you're not getting to, to heaven on your performance. It's His that you put your faith in, your trust in. So let's get past that. But He didn't say just go make converts. Billy Graham hated that about being an evangelist. So many millions said the prayer. But then they'd try to get them into churches, into their local churches. And so many just went right back to the world. And the Bible teaches us once that house is clean and the devil sees that it's been clean and not filled with anything else, he comes back and he brings not only himself, but seven more demons worse than, worse than him. So the condition of that convert who never went on to be discipled and to get strengthened in the Word and to learn who they are now in Christ and what they have and learn how to resist the devil so that he he would flee from them, they end up in worse condition than they were in the beginning. We need to be discipled. That's why it says Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're almost done. One of these days I'm going to actually get into the message. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. You know what the word beseech means? It's pretty strong language. It's, it's almost like begging. It's an urgency. It, I'm urging you. I, 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 I'm begging you. This is what Paul said. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. In the King James, it's beseech. It's appeal here, but it's, it's really stronger than that. He's asking us, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, because of God's goodness, based on what He's done for us, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, the King James says, your reasonable sacrifice. This is, this is only a reasonable request of you based on what's been done for you, right? And then he goes on to say what he's asking for. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So, how are we transformed from... Being like this world from all the garbage that's gone in. How do we change? Once we're born again, our spirit is renewed. That new life. 
Our spirit is renewed and it's the, the demonic corrupted seed is evicted. God has placed our renewed spirit in us and sealed it with His promised Holy Spirit. One third of our salvation is complete, perfect and holy from now on. But this, this personality, this free will, this mind and will and emotions that makes up our soul, it's all corrupted still. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away. All things have become new. All things. You look in the mirror. I still got this scar from when I was so stupid. I still have some of the thoughts that I shouldn't have about some of my brothers and sisters. How did everything become new? Is the Bible incorrect? No. Nope. I've already told you. I, think, I know that it's perfect. So what became new? Our spirit. God is a spirit. God created you in his image. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So our spirit's renewed and our mind now has to come into agreement with this spirit. And the characteristics of this spirit, which contains the very mind of Christ, is written in this book. So how do we read, how do we how do we do what he's asking us to do? We become disciples of Jesus Christ. Learn to think just like him. And when we come to that crossroads in our life every day, maybe ten times a day, where our thinking and his thinking don't line up, we make the choice to choose his way instead of our way. Until it becomes our first choice. Amen? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because He loves you, He wants you to agree with Him. You know why? Because He is love, and His way is perfect, and He knows what's best for all of us. When when something's broke, who's the best person to take it to? The manufacturer? <laughs> Same with us. He's never going to steer us wrong. Sometimes we experience more of Jesus' living water than others. Sometimes more than other times, not more than other people. That's a given. But it's because we, to the extent that we renew our minds and we learn to agree with God, we will walk after the Spirit. That's all it is. The Bible talks about, Romans chapter 8, talking about living a life in and after the Spirit. If you're born again, you're already in the Spirit. Don't, somebody tell you, you're, oh, you're not in the Spirit. You're out of the Spirit. No, you're not. If you're born again, you're in the Spirit. You're just not in agreement with it. Sometimes. Sometimes you are. The times that you are, that's when you have peace. 
That's when you have all the joy you'll ever need. Look at Galatians real quick. And I want to tell you something. I want you to listen and believe this. I know what I'm talking about. I may not know much, but I know Jesus. And listen, I make I need some of you to get to the point where I can call you. When I'm not agreeing with God, when I want to give somebody a piece of my mind, I want to be able to call you and you point me back to what Jesus said. I want you all to be able to, to count on Christian friends who will do that very thing and not, the, not call the people that you know will agree with you and, <laughs> and cuss that person with you. <laughs> Tell you how right you are and you don't deserve that. You don't need that kind of friend. You need the one that will pray with you. Point you to the scriptures. Love on you. And before you hang up, say, now let's, let's go ahead and pray for them too. Put it behind us. Trust Jesus with this thing. That's a real friend. Galatians 5. Y'all found it a long time ago. Jep, G-E-P, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians 5. Here's what you have already in your born again spirit. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, why do you call it the fruit of the Spirit? Because this is what will manifest in your life. It will, you will bear fruit. It will bloom and blossom and it will bear fruit in your life if you walk in, a, in, in and after the Spirit in agreement with God, in agreement with the Word of God. That's all it is. And when you do, these are the things that will manifest and be apparent in your life and will actually be irresistible to others. They'll want what you have and that's, what, that's how the Lord wants you to be. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That last one's a doozy. So when you say, I can't help it, and you say at the same time, you have Jesus, I can't agree with you. It's in there. We just have to learn to draw on it. All of those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Look how chapter 6 opens up. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's what I was telling y'all what I need y'all to do for me sometimes. <laughs> but look at the next. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted too. And say, listen, if you've, if you've only been out of the crack house for six months and now you love the Lord and you want to get all your friends saved, careful going down there to the crack house to get Joe or Jenny. 
You may not be ready for that. That's what he's saying. If you if you've been on a bar stool for forty years and now you want to get all those buddies from the bar coming over to your house and just having nice tea on Sundays, careful going down there to get them. <laughs> just call them, invite them over. <laughs> Praise God. Listen, we're going to stop here today. But are you understanding what we're? What the Lord's trying to share with us here. How so many Christians are walking so far beneath their inheritance in Him. They used to blame Jesus for all kind of stuff and accuse Him falsely. Accused Him of having a demon. And He said in John 10.10, He said, wait, no, no, no. The thief... The devil comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. All of the peace, love, and joy you ever wanted, you already have. You just need to learn how to walk in it. Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus says, Pray. And believe that what you pray for, you already have. And you will have it. Believe that you have what you pray for when you pray. And you shall have it. Now, he's assuming that you're going to be praying according to his will. And not for any demonic thing that's ungodly. Or designed to harm someone else, of course. And he may not want to rig the lottery for you, but... That's a powerful thing. You know, God speaks to those things that be not as though they were, and then they are. It's everything's opposite in the kingdom of God. It requires faith. We have to believe in Him and that the things that He says and asks us to do are good, and they're not just to keep us from having fun, but they're for our own good and because He loves us. Because we don't want to open any doors for the devil into our lives. And he's trying to protect us and help us. And he's always there. Just start talking to him. I challenge each and every one of you to find a place where you can sit down and imagine right next to you is Jesus Christ, your best friend, the friend that sticks closer than a brother, your king, your savior, your kinsman redeemer, and just begin to talk to him not in any kind of a weird Christian fashion like a King James <laughs> theatrical English, but just like you talk to anybody that you care for and you believe cares for you. And watch what starts to happen. You're going to find after just a week or two that that place becomes anointed. And when people walk into that room, they start going, whoa, that feels something good happening here. Father, thank you for this word and for your love for us. I ask, Lord, for a favor today. And for every time anyone around the world hears this message. That you take the seed of this word and you plant it deep in their hearts. And cause it to, to grow roots and bear fruit in their lives.
Help them to protect this word, to keep the enemy from stealing it from them so that it will be profitable in their lives and in turn in the lives of others. Thank you for loving us the way you do and for teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen.